Good morning, Church Central West. What a pleasure it is to be um, with you and joining in your series on the Psalms. I've chosen one of my favourite Psalms, Psalm 40. I'm afraid I haven't got capacity to um, uh, deal with the whole of this beautiful song, but I would like to just concentrate on the first three verses of this Psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And that's the verse I want to particularly concentrate or head towards. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. We came up to Birmingham about four years ago. Um, I, my son, Johnny, came down to Woking to see us and he basically gave us a Macedonian call. He said, Dad and Mum, will you come and help us with our new church in the north of Birmingham? And, well, the rest so far is history. We've been up here four years um, and we're having a great time. Before we left Woking, we were in the supermarket one day and we bumped into one of our friends who's a, not a Christian, um, but a good friend of ours, and um, we were chatting to Alice and um, telling her, saying goodbye to her actually, effectively, uh, telling her what we were doing, and she was saying, you know, why, why are you going to Birmingham? What are you doing? And we said, well, our son lives up there, and he's involved with the church, and there's a, they've started up a new church in the north of Birmingham, and um, we've gone to help him with that church. And she then blurted out these words, well, that's going to be a church of thousands, isn't it? And something gripped our hearts with that simple little... A uh, word spoken by our non-Christian friend um, and has been one of the driving factors in our life up up here in West Birmingham. So in, in the north of Birmingham, we have a, a vision for planting lots of small community churches, 100 to 200 people, scattered across the um, north of Birmingham, Perry Bar, Great Bar, King Standing, Erdington, Feezy. Um, breaking into these uh, wonderful communities of ours with the wonderful gospel of Jesus. And I trust that's your, also your vision. Maybe you're looking at Wheelie Castle and Edgbaston and Bearwood and Quinton and, and um, hoping also, like us, to um, spread across the west of Birmingham and um, infiltrate communities and businesses and um, neighbourhoods with this wonderful gospel of Jesus. So... I think this is a very relevant promise. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Fantastic promise. But the promises of the Bible have a context and um, there is actually a process. It's not so much um, conditions, but there's a process involved in inheriting the promises of God. And this psalm starts off with this phrase. I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently. Now, literally, that actually doesn't say patiently. It just says literally, I waited, waited for the Lord. And this is such a testing thing, isn't it? Waiting, waiting for our dreams to be um, uh, developed and fulfilled and what we've hoped for um, come to pass. Waiting. We're waiting for much as many things, aren't we? We're waiting for trivial things like football to come home. Uh, we're waiting for... Um, Serious things, a new job, a partner, a breakthrough in our children, backsliders to come back, children that have left home, left the faith, 
to come back to their saviour. Our friends in need, people needing healing, maybe a beautiful beloved baby, desperately needing healing. We're waiting, waiting, waiting. It's hard, isn't it? It's waiting. Why does God make us wait? <laughs> Why do we have to go through this process of waiting um, before we see this magnificent promise fulfilled? Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Well, I believe that one of the reasons for that is, is shown in these few verses. Because there is a process God works in us as we wait. The first one of those is this psalmist wasn't waiting primarily for any of those things, trivial or serious, he was waiting for the Lord. And that's the first challenge for us as Christians. It's a challenge in the start of our Christian journey, but it's also a challenge in our whole walk of faith to keep God primary, to keep God the one we desire most and not just what he will do for us. So we want God the saviour, not the stuff and this is a challenge because I think most of us come into the Christian faith because we have a need. We, we understand we are in trouble um, and we call out to God for help to meet our need. And he meets our need. He wonderfully heals us or uh, refreshes us or transforms us or sets us free from things. Um, so God is a God of action, a God who does things for us. Um, and it is so easy to drift our eyes from the, the saviour to what he can do and to become more interested in what God will do for us than who he is. It's a simple way of checking this out in your own life. A very simple way of checking it out. Consider what your prayers consist of. Now this psalmist mentions two things. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. So he's not saying you don't pray. Obviously we pray. We are dependent people. We need God for every breath of our lives, every step we take, trivial and serious. Every part of our lives need God. So we pray, we ask for stuff. Yes, absolutely. But he also said he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And I think this is one of the tests of our, where our, where our faith and our, our, our looking really is. Do we want God most or do we want just what he'll do for us? And you can tell that by looking at your prayer life. If your prayer life is taken up mainly with asking for stuff, then you're looking for the stuff and not the saviour. If, on the other hand, your life is taken, your prayer life is mainly taken up with rejoicing, exulting, delighting in Jesus, just amazed at his wonder and his love, taking up with songs and, 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 and worship to Jesus, then your desire is for God. So stop a moment. Just consider before God how you are right now. Let's just let the word of God search us. Do we want the saviour? Or the stuff? Do we want God's face or his hands? That is what he looks like or just what he does for us. Father, search us. Search us, Lord. Where we need redirection, redirect us right now to your, to your beautiful face, your beautiful character and who you are. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. So that's the first thing. Now, this psalm is describing a person who's in a, great, a very distressing place. He's caught, basically. He's trapped. He's fallen into a deep pit. 
So he says, he drew me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. So he's describing his experience in some way, and obviously I think it's for him it's metaphorical. Um, his, it was like that in his life. This is David talking. He was, he, it's like he'd fallen into a deep pit and he couldn't get out of it. And it was worse than that. It wasn't just a deep pit he couldn't climb out of, but it was also muddy and his feet were stuck in the mire. So he's utterly trapped, helpless, and he's rejoicing, obviously, that God delivered him. Now, there's another guy in the Bible who um, actually experienced this physically, not metaphorically. Jeremiah was a, was a godly man, um, was hated by some of his contemporaries, seized hold of him and chucked him in a pit. And it says actually exactly this. It says his feet sank into the mud at the bottom of the pit. There he is. No food, no water, no way of escape. Hopeless in despair. But he has a friend called Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, who gets a, band, gets a band of people together and they throw down a rope and some clothes to Jeremiah and pull him out of the pit and he gets rescued. Now I'm just look at that image a moment because I think it's how you look at pictures like that which often um, will display to you how your Christian life works as well. So imagine the pit is is our sin, we're trapped in something we can't get out of, we're, we're shut out from God's presence, we're in a desperate place. That's where every one of us starts until we know Jesus. Um, and the gospel is like a rope thrown down to us. Um, it's like a lifeline, it's, a, it's like a voice, it's a message. God is a God of mercy, God is going to forgive you. It's a wonderful message of the, of the cross, of a free salvation. So how do you get hold of that message. So one way, obvious way would be, right, God's thrown the lifeline down to me, but now I've got to do something. I've got to get hold of it. I've got to haul myself up by the rope. I've got to pray. I've got to read the Bible. I've got to behave, my, behave right. I've got to change my behavior, stop doing stuff, giving away my money. I need to do all sorts of things to help me appropriate this salvation. And that regrettably is how many of us live our Christian lives. But actually, if you look at the image more accurately, you'll see it wasn't quite like that for Jeremiah, because what they did was they threw down clothes as well as a rope, and they instructed him to put the clothes under his armpits, loop the rope under his armpits, and then they pulled him up. So I, Jeremiah did not get out of that pit by his own efforts. He was pulled up by his friends. Now, this is the next challenge in our living our Christian life is um, who is going to be the saviour day after day in our lives? Is Jesus going to be the saviour? Or are we going to have to become our own saviour in some way? Do we need to do stuff to earn, to merit, to appropriate salvation? Let me give you a, a, a topical example of this, not a particularly spiritual example, but the climate crisis today. We are faced with a, a, a terrible cri a crisis across the climate. Um, God's been managing the whole creation for millennia very satisfactorily. He's put everything in beautiful harmony. He's created all these amazing diverse things and now we've gone and wrecked it. So we need to save the planet. We need to do stuff to get this right again. And we're being called on from all sorts of quarters to become 
the saviour of the world. Each one with our own little bits of, of behaviour, of um, dealing with plastic right and waste and recycling and living greenly with green credentials. Uh, are we being urged to save the planet? Now notice the language. So we are being called upon as people to become the saviour. But there's only one saviour of the world and that's Jesus. It's not means that we don't do anything. God is the creator. He's the sustainer of all things. He's interested in the creation. He's uh, very keen for um, this world to, to remain in harmony. We were left as stewards of this planet. So we do need to think, do things in cooperation with him. But we are not saving the planet. God is. He's well capable of saving the planet. So we don't need to fear. We don't need to struggle and strive and think it's our responsibility. We need to be obedient to what God shows us to do, to cooperate with him and give him the praise and the glory. And it's the same in our lives. The gospel is not God helps those who help themselves. God does not need a hand to sort out the problems of this world. Jesus' work on the cross was perfect and complete. He paid the full debt for all I've done wrong. He crushed Satan beneath his feet. He dealt a death blow to death. And I need to trust him and believe in him and not be dragged into becoming my own saviour. So we need to be careful of these two things. Firstly, we need to make sure that we want God and not just the stuff that he brings us, the gifts that he gives us. We want him, the giver, more than the gift. And secondly, we need to keep Jesus as the saviour of the world in prime place, in the place of honour and worship. And we need to avoid every attempt to, to, to draw us into becoming our own saviour. You cannot improve on what the cross has done. That doesn't mean to say you do nothing doesn't mean you just sit back and put your feet up and wait for God to do it all. We cooperate with him because he paid this price for us. Because he is a beautiful saviour, we then pray. We delight in him. We read the Bible to find out more about who he is and what he does. We tell our friends because this is the best news in the world. We throw our money away because what's money? It won't do us any good beyond the grave. It's a temporary thing. And we use that to advance the kingdom of God. We behave as good citizens, not to earn God's favour, but to display his character and his beauty to the world around us. I love the way the, the psalm starts with that second phrase, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me. Beautiful. He inclined to me. The eternal God pure, perfect, bent down to me. You see, the gospel is, is not actually really just like God throwing a rope down into the pit and pulling us out. Yeah, that is what happens. But actually, it's more dramatic and more, more marvellous than that. The gospel is God came down into the pit. God himself came down, left the glories of heaven, and Jesus came and got his hands dirty in grubby humanity. He lived among the poor and the needy after being born in, a, in an animal-filled stable. He went to the cross. He took the full 
horror of sin and wickedness that we should be clean and right. He came down into the pit and stayed in the pit while he pushed us out and he rose again from the dead. This is the wonderful gospel of God, the God who inclines to us. And the result of that was that the, farm, the, the psalmist found that he'd come out of the pit um, and he um, was pulled out of the miry clay and he found his, set, his feet set upon a rock, making his steps secure. And that's the third thing that we need to develop in our progression from waiting to many will see and fear. Um, it is to be secure in God happy in God, settled in God, totally content with God, so that actually whatever happens to us, it can't shake us. You read through Paul in the New Testament, he goes through incredible difficulties, but nothing really shakes him off course. It upsets him, it pains him, it hurts him, it grieves him, but he's settled on Jesus. He knows he belongs to Jesus. He knows he's going to be with Jesus after death. He knows that his enemies are being conquered. He knows that the gospel will finally triumph. He knows that the church of God will resist the, all the attacks of the Roman Empire and the persecutions of the Jews. And it will triumph and fill the world with the glory of God. This amazing confidence, secure. So, how are you doing? Is God your primary one? Or are you just interested in what he'll do for you? Is Jesus your saviour alone? Or are you trying to save yourself? And are you settled and stable in God? Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And if we do those things, in time, I believe we're going to see this promise fulfilled. Many will see and fear and put their trust in God. This isn't just names on a list. This isn't people who just like our community. This isn't uh, just um, another member for a WhatsApp group. This is people who are genuinely, radically altered by the cross of Jesus. Seeing, fearing, trusting. That's what conversion is. It's seeing something. It's seeing that your need is utterly desperate. That you cannot pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That you need a saviour. That you are under God's anger because of your um, ignore, ignoring him and breaking his rules and defying him. And you fear because you see the danger you're in. You see that God is a God of mercy but he's also a God of justice. And you put your trust in Jesus. You put your trust in a free offer of salvation. You can't save yourself. You can't get out of the pit yourself. You're in mortal danger, terrible danger. And you put out your hands. You lay under that rope. You put it under your armpits. And you let Jesus pull you out. And that's the way you go on living. Day after day, morning by morning, you wake up under the mercy of God, under the steadfast love of God, under the favour of God. What a life this is. What an amazing life. No wonder he said, he put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. Thank you, Father, for this incredible gospel. May it break in upon our lives again and may we live it out, Lord, 
owning you alone as our Saviour. In Jesus' name. Amen.